Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Alright, what is going on? Happy Monday. As Hannah mentioned, it is Championship Monday. I'm out here in San Jose at the game. Raja's no back in Fort Lauderdale. This is, I, I can't wait. I don't understand the, oh, we're tired of seeing this matchup from people that are out there, college ball fans complaining about this game. I get it. I get that you don't want to see the two teams, but these are the two best teams in the country, bar none. We're going to break down that game. We're going to hit a bunch on that. We got to get to NFL wildcard weekend, but I have a question for you before we get started, Raja. All right. What's up? Have you ever had duck liver moose? No. That's a no. no I've never had duck anything. Well, I don't. One want... of the things. So I went out to dinner back to back nights and both restaurants. I don't know if it's a San Jose thing out here in Northern California or what it is. Both me, uh, restaurants had duck liver moose on the menu, and I and I tried it. Like it was all right. It was kind of like a spread that you have like on your bread before dinner. It wasn't bad, but I was curious to know if you had ever had it. Like I'm one of the. Do you like to try stuff? Because no. I'm I'm all about trying something nope. new. You don't you won't mess nope. with it. No, and I'm looking at the menu before I go, and if there's duck liver on it, I'm not going. (laughs) What about oxtail? Have you ever had oxtail? It's a no. No, Listen, (laughs) if it doesn't come like in a Lay's bag or something like that, I haven't tried it. Like that's about as far as my palate. Like uh, some hot fries maybe. (laughs) Right. You'll try those uh, maybe on a rare occasion. All right. Good to know. I tried it, and I survived, and it wasn't that bad. So, so, uh so yeah, you gotta expand the horizons every once All in a right, while. We'll try All right, we'll let's try. break down <laughs> NFL wildcard weekend. I think it's the best weekend of, of NFL football of the year. It's my favorite weekend. I don't think the games necessarily lived up to that this year. They were a little bit sloppy. You saw some bad offensive play. I think a lot of that was because of some of the young quarterbacks that were playing in these matchups. And I thought there's a process where they, it took them a lot of time to get used to this pace and the defensive schemes that were going on. But let's start it off with the Bears versus Eagles in Chicago. I can't believe it. We're sitting here, and the Nick Foles magic continues. The Eagles go out there, come back. They never were phased. Foles leads another fourth-quarter comeback. And it it begs the question. It keeps coming up, and I don't think it's crazy to start thinking Maybe this team is just flat out better with Nick Foles than it is with Carson Wentz. I think there is something to that, and you have to start evaluating it if you're an Eagles fan or if you're an Eagles front office. We are going to have Pete Prisco on in a while, and I want to find the footage of when he just destroyed me on this show when I asked the question. But he did destroy me. And look, again, I'm not making the case that Carson Wentz is not better than Nick Foles. That's not, I don't think anyone's making that, but there is something to be said for a guy and how he fits into what you're trying to do. And you, you can't deny the fact now that Nick Foles like rallies that team. There's something about when he's back there and the way they perform when he's back there. I, let me ask you a question, Danny. If I had told you, because we talked a lot about Mitch Trubisky and us not trusting him, um, yep. if I had told you Mitch was going to go for 303 yards, one TD, and no interceptions, like wouldn't you think that the Bears would have had a good shot to win that game with that defense? Yes, I would have said it was a blowout. I would, yeah. You know, I would have said, "Oh my goodness, like that's going to be a 21-point victory if Trubisky had that type of game in that spot." And he got off to a little bit of a rough start, but once he settled in, made a couple nice throws to get them back to take the lead late in the game. I'm with you. So I, like, I look at that and I was surprised that the Bears couldn't get it done at home. And I think that's, you know, we talk about the young quarterbacks. I thought Matt Nagy kind of struggled early in that half to get. 
Trubisky in comfortable spots and then opened it up a little bit, and that's where they had some of the success in the second half. But I think there is something to this Eagles team. Like, our boy Debo is out there going nuts in the control room, like yeah. screaming like a little girl as they're winning in the, you know, while he's at work watching them. But I'm telling you, like, I doubted them. I keep saying it's going to come to an end, and I bet Eagles fans want me to keep saying the same thing. They're going to New Orleans next round, like, I, but they just have something about them, like playing with house money, playing as the role of the underdog, and you've got the experience of last year, so there's really no pressure on them. Then I think that has something to do with it, too. There's something about the lack of pressure on this team that they're able to go out there and just keep having fun and rallying around Nick Foles, who, again, wasn't the game wasn't perfect, but when the game is on the line, he's getting up there and, like, you have to put him in the top five quarterbacks of – who would you want to lead your team if you're trailing by a touchdown late in the game? Because obviously you'd have Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, and then maybe it's Foles, like in the fourth spot right there because of his history in, in recent, you know, the last two years leading this, this team to amazing comeback wins. Well, yeah, I mean, look, first of all, he's got this kind of unflappable, like, demeanor about him where, like, he's, he never really looks like he's too excited and he never really looks like he's too down. Um which speaks well to being able to play in those big moments. Um, look at his passer rating for like a playoff NFL playoff history. It's 105.2. It's the best in NFL playoff history. Like it's pretty remarkable. I know it's a small sample size, but that kind of supports the argument that you made. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? Big oh. shot Rob Horry, where like you wouldn't make the case that Rob Horry was better than Kobe Bryant ever. You know what I mean? But. There would be a debate if, if down the stretch you had to give the ball to one of those two guys to knock down a really, really tough shot. You'd have some people clamoring for, like, Robert Orr to get the ball. And that's kind of what Nick Foles is. Like, that was fourth and goal. All, everything on the line. And my man throws a dart to Golden Tate. Like, that ball, the room, the margin for error on that pass, Danny, was like six inches in front of him. You don't catch it. Six, six inches behind him, it gets deflected. And he put it on the money. Like, that's, that's big time. And so... There are guys that may not, over the course of a game or a season, stick out as the best player. But in that moment, they have an ability to just stay calm and make a play, be in the moment. He definitely has that. Yeah, it, not not it like unflappable is the word used. He doesn't get bothered yeah. by because he didn't have the best first half. And he was able to get out there. And they just ran a really simple, basic play. It's called sprint right option where Golden Tate's sitting in the slot and he just has to shake one defender and get to the outside. Everybody runs it. Everybody has seen it before. It was a great route by Golden Tate and even better execution, how, uh, you know, from Foles. How easy is that? Like, like that's kind of like a layup almost. It's not a layup, but like how hard is it to, to make that play? Like it is an easy thing to just pull it a little bit right or just try to guide it a little oh, bit too much sure. like you you really have to be you know a pro's pro to make that play as simple as it could be you know right totally and that's something you work on oh it's a repetition thing it's like you go out there every day in practice every day in the off season and otas you're probably going to run that in a lot of your drills because you know it's going to be a go-to in crunch time if you need two or three yards that's the play you're going to get so right. that was that was huge for uh the eagles to come back and win there now I thought Trubisky did a great job of putting them back in a position to win, and they had the field goal, and Cody Parkey, who has struggled all season long, misses the field goal. He's been brutal this week, uh, this year. He's had eight field goals that he's missed. He had the third worst field goal percentage in the NFL this season. And what I hate, like, I hate seeing this happen any, but first of all, I hate the game comes down to a kick, because I don't like kickers anyway. I hate seeing when they impact the game this much. 
But what I hate worse is the fans, the Bears fans, which are just trashing him, <laughs> booing him as he's walking off the field. They're just absolutely showering him with boos. And I want to get into this a little bit later when we talk about Lamar Jackson and what he was facing in Baltimore. But I get that you're upset, but what good do you think it's going to do to Boo? Like, do you think he was actually trying to miss it? Do you think that's going to help him moving forward? I don't know. I'm kind of torn with that because it really drives me nuts when home fans boo their guys at home, especially after he missed such a crucial kick. Like, I don't expect him to sit out there and cheer, but just go home. After the game is done, like, just go home. Don't stay around just to boo the kicker who missed one of the biggest field goals of his career. I, I usually am on board. I am on board with you on that. I don't think it's ever good to boo your home guy. I... Forgive that one because of the emotions of the night. So that was like an emotional boo. And I feel like there's a fundamental difference between like the emotional boo of spur of the moment. We just had our hearts broken. So we don't really know what to do. We're going to boo. Even though I don't agree with it, I'll forgive that. It's the premeditated, like we're going to come to the game and can't wait for, for, uh, for him to make a mistake so that we can boo him that I don't really love. Like that's the one when you come to the stadium wanting to boo a guy, that's a whole nother like can of worms for me. Um, a couple of things though, like, Mitch Trubisky, like, so the Bears win total projection this year was like six and a half. They got Khalil Mack and went up to seven and a half. You win a dozen games, Mitch Trubisky looks like that in the playoffs, right? Made some big throws, even to get him into field goal range. Like that, that was a huge throw. Um, that's house money, man. You've got to be excited if you're a Bears fan. Now I know you didn't win that, but your defense didn't play great. Mitch got a playoff game under his belt. Um, you, you, going forward, I think Chicago, there has to be a level of excitement once you come down off of like the hangover. Um, and then as it pertains to like Cody Parkey, I think there are two things in play. Like number one, he, he wasn't great this year. Like he just, he just wasn't. He wasn't, I mean, he was averaging like 70 some percent on field goals. Like it wasn't the greatest in the league, but the guy that you let go to bring him in, Robbie Gold was 82 or 85 since you cut him. So like that's a, that's salt in the wound, bro. It's not just that, that Cody Parkey hasn't been fantastic. It's that the guy you let go to bring him in has been fantastic. Yeah, it, that, that's been something that's really tough. And again, the booing in the spur of the moment, I don't like, but you know what I hate is when people are taking to social media and directing videos to him saying, yeah, that's you suck. You should never much. play on the team. Like that's when you cross the line. I heard Cody Parkey after the game and I think he said, you know, this is going to take a little while to get over. And he said a couple months. I got news for you and I, you could probably attest to this too. I have a, when I was in high school, my sophomore year, we played in the state championship game in basketball. Yeah. And we were coming back. I had three three pointers in the fourth quarter to get us back in a position to win. I don't remember those. Still to this day, there was a three pointer with about 40 seconds left in the game that rimmed like in and out. And that game, I still think about what could have been if I would have hit that shot. Like this is something I don't think he truly ever is going to get over this. Like I, I just think it's one of those things where, You've got, and I've like, he's got to see a therapist, like for real, like for real yeah. talk. And I don't know if, and even still, like you can say, all right, I'm, maybe I have the chance to put myself there again, but I still think no matter what happens, he's always going to remember this and it's still going to sting somewhat. And a lot of his future is how he deals with that sting and that feeling of loss right there. Cause it's going to be brutal for him. Yeah. It's where, it's where it's a tough position to be a kicker when the game, like you have no effect on the game until like the last second. Like that's, that's really tough. That sucks for kickers. Um, you know, cause NBA guys miss shots all the time. If you missed the last one, so what? Like you made 25 before that, no big deal. Um, but it's what, it is what he does after this that's gonna kinda define him, you know? Like if this, if this is something that he can own and be, you know, 
you know, be be somewhat of a of a pro about it and just put it in the rear view. Uh, come out there, get over the hurdle. I think it's very important to him, like the next time he gets an opportunity to do this. Yeah. Maybe it's not a playoff game, but he's got to see some success the next time he does it or it can start to like snowball on him. What I will say about, and this goes back to the hometown booing, when I played in Philly, I came out and like I was a fan favorite in 2001. It's only because I played a little tiny bit and people couldn't really see my flaws as a player, right? Like everybody was in love with the Sixers run and I had a little bit to do with that. And so I was like the, the shiny object that everyone wanted. I had very little to do with it, but everybody loved it. Um, the next year I, I started having to play more and I didn't live up to what people thought I was going to be. I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't that good of a player. The hometown like turned on me. Like now they might say like you know Raj was good when he was there but then they booed me like they booed me a lot yeah. and look that had me fractured as a player and as a person like I would go home uh, and I had a very tough coach and I wasn't sure I wanted to play basketball anymore it, it, it that would still haunt me at times now uh, if I'm in a place and people are getting booed like the visceral reaction that I have to home crowds booing their players um, it scarred me for a long time so you know Robbie's in a situation like not Robbie I'm sorry but Cody's in a situation where you know, the next time out, he needs to make that field goal. If he rolls out there next year and there's any lingering booing and so on and so forth, you know, that could be a really, really tough thing for a player. And the only thing sometimes that can remedy that is a fresh start. Like I wound up having to go to Europe. I played in Spain and then I came back and played for the Mavericks and I needed a whole new start uh, to a career. It was never going to happen for me in Philly again because I had just been fractured by, you know, those moments of, of failure and then not having the support, you know, of an organization or a city. All right, so dealing with one player who had to deal with booze to another one is Lamar Jackson because he was playing at home against Ravens. They're down 23-3, you know, in the third quarter, and fans are starting to boo. There was a lot of chatter on the broadcast about should they go back to Joe Flacco. I'm curious to know what you thought, Roger. Did you, watching how bad they were, the Ravens offensively, did you think they should have gone to Joe Flacco and taken Lamar Jackson out of the game? Yeah, I did. Like in a in a you vacuum, did. in a va- in a vacuum, like in a in a in a just perfect world, I thought that yeah, Joe Flacco gave you the better opportunity to win that game once you realized that Lamar was to some degree a deer in headlights, right? Like that, I thought that he would have given you the best chance to win that game. I do understand that there was a whole lot more, you know, uh, politically, you know, involved in that, right? Like you can't just—it's not as easy as saying we're going to throw Joe Flacco back in there. Then when you heard Harbaugh come out say that, that Lamar's our guy going forward and he wishes Joe Flacco the best and Joe Flacco says his goodbye to the city, you realize all the dynamics in play there. If you're asking me purely, once I realized Lamar wasn't going to be up to the task yesterday, well, did I think Joe Flacco gave him a better chance? Yeah, the answer is yes. All right, here's what drove me nuts because I was of the camp of you got to stick with Lamar. He's your guy. He's the one that got you there. And here's here's the really the crux of the issue. If Lamar Jackson, who's one of the best scrambling quarterbacks that we've seen in the last decade in the NFL, is out there getting sacked left and right in the pocket, getting pressure from that defense, what do you think is going to happen to Flacco when he goes out there and he's sitting in that pocket? Like yeah. I think it would have been uglier with him. And I'm really glad that John Harbaugh stuck with Lamar Jackson because I thought and maybe he's not even thinking about this during the game. Maybe he genuinely thought, hey, maybe Lamar can bring us back, which he did put them in a position, did start to get things rolling when he started scrambling around and just making plays and got them to with, you know, within a touchdown late in that game, which I thought was pretty impressive that he was able to come back. Sure. I don't know if he was thinking big picture, like, hey, could this impact Lamar's confidence in the offseason or we have to stay dedicated to him because he's our franchise, he's our future. I don't know if that went into it. 
But if it did, I think it was the right decision. I do think that was something that Lamar Jackson can, can appreciate this offseason and say, you know what, they stuck with me. Because I think there's always that if you get benched by your coaches, you know, it's kind of like getting booed by your home fans. You're Absolutely. like, man, you guys didn't think I could do it. Like, screw you guys. I don't, you know, there's always that little bit in the back of your mind that says you guys were ready to bail on me just because I had one bad half. So I actually think it was a really smart move to stay with Lamar and kind of trust him through that process. And I thought it was really valuable for him to get that experience and to prove to people like, hey, he could bring a team back. Like, cause I don't think people pictured Lamar Jackson as the type of quarterback that could bring a team back to a, you know, two touchdown, three touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter. And I thought he proved to a lot of people that he could and overcome a bad first half. Like you've got to be able to deal with that adversity. And I thought he showcased how well he could do it in that game. Yeah, no, I agree with you on a lot of fronts. First of all, like, yeah, Joe Flacco, if, if Lamar can't survive running around in the pocket against them, like, what's, what's Joe gonna do? Um, and I do agree with you in terms of Lamar needing the experience and, and actually, like, letting go to some degree in the second half and just saying, I'm gonna make some plays. And that experience going forward is gonna be critical. It's almost Trubisky-ish, where, like, if you're a fan base, you had to know that guy wasn't ready 100%. You throw him in the fire, he tried to bring you back, you had a shot at it, it didn't work out, like, this is all, you know, this is all forward now with the, with this quarterback. You're all you're playing for the future, so it's not the worst thing in the world. the The difference is, and I promise you, at halftime, after Lamar was out there, he's three for nine in the first half, um, twenty five yards, forty yards rushing. Someone had the conversation at a higher level. Now I don't know if Harbaugh was looped in or not, but we used to do it with the cat. Like you have those conversations when you're in a game of that magnitude. Is Joe Flacco an option right now? Someone said that. Yep. Now I don't know how far it got ran up the flagpole and, or whether or not it got to Harbaugh or not, but that was a conversation that they were having. And only because you had Joe Flacco there. Like Trubisky, you'd never do that. Who, who are you going to throw in the game for Trubisky? Right. But you have Flacco. Here's and I, I'm with you in that. I thought it was the right call in that situation with Lamar going forward with the organization to leave Lamar in. But just – Point blank, did I, who give you the better chance to win after you saw Lamar wasn't really comfortable? I thought it could have been Flacco. Here's why I'm glad because if he would have gotten taken out, the only thing you would have on his resume moving forward is that ugly first half. And next time, if they make the playoffs next year, everyone would have said, ew, like, man, he had, he played so bad in that playoff game. And I know it's not going to gloss over the first half of that game or even the first three quarters. There's still going to be question marks, but at least his stat line looks a little bit better. Yeah. And it was interesting. I saw a stat about Joe Flacco's first playoff start and it was essentially Lamar Jackson's first half. Like he, I think he had 43 yards passing. He was like three of nine, something around there. And that was it. But they won because the defense, I think, had four interceptions on the other side of the ball. So like nobody ever remembers it, but it's not easy. And I think that's something you saw across the league or across the games over the weekend was that the young quarterback struggled. And I know a lot of people had said, Hey, Deshaun Watson plays in the, you know, championship game. And, you know, Lamar Jackson's, you know, been in big time situations before. There's a different speed level that you're facing when you're in the playoffs. There's a different scheme. It gets it bumps up an extra notch. And until you've seen that and been in that fire and been in that pressure pack situation, you really the only thing that can prepare you for it is actually being on the field in it. So I thought yeah. that was a big reason why the young quarterback struggled. And I thought Lamar Jackson looked rattled in the first half. Like he was out there, you know, fumbling without pressure, like just running and switching the ball out of his hands and it would fall <laughs> down. I thought he was a little bit rattled. And then you know, I thought then he settled down and it became a little bit more, you know, like, hey, I can do this. And I thought that was really huge to go for, uh, went a long way for his confidence. 
uh, that was out there. And you got to remember, Lamar Jackson's only 21 years old. I think today's his birthday. I think he just turned 22. And, you know, I think he's going to be, I still think the future is extremely bright. The upside absolutely. is off the charts yeah, for Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back, Kennell and Bell. Just a few minutes, we're going to get Pete Prisco in here, help us break down the rest of the wild card weekend. But over the weekend, there was some surprising NBA news uh, that came across, and I think it caught everybody off guard, especially considering the T-Wolves had just won a game, but they fired Tom Thibodeau after a 22-point win over the Lakers, and I think it caught most people were you know kind of completely caught off guard on this one. What was your reaction, Rajon, when you saw this news? Um, yeah, I was as surprised as anybody. I have no insight into what's going on there. The timing of that is just as strange as I've seen. Like you, you typically don't get a guy fired right after the game. Like if you're going to fire him, fire him the next morning. Like I don't know. Like that's really weird. I, my first and in, my initial reaction is like there's just pure dysfunction within that Timberwolves like hierarchy there and their front office from their CEO, I guess Ethan Kassan and then Scott Layden's the general manager and then. You know, he was, Thibodeau was president and head coach, and so maybe they're trying to streamline it a little bit and really start from scratch, but, I mean, the timing of that is just absurd. I've never seen anything like that. Not for a guy who just won the game. Right. It's really weird. I think there's got, there's got to be more behind the scenes that we don't know, and I, the dysfunction in this team may be around the nucleus of young talent that they have, because, I don't know, I think there's just, we've seen some red flags. Jimmy Butler was calling them out. I think Tibbs is an older school coach who's going to harp on defense and wants to have a killer cutthroat mentality where he wants guys that want to be champions and that if they lose a game, it's going to bother them. And I don't know if that's necessarily the core group of guys that they've got in Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I think it might just be a bad fit, but I don't know if the right answer is getting rid of the coach and saying, all right, we're going to send him out because I think it continues to enable these these guys to play the way they have with sort of without that killer instinct. Yeah, I for, from look, I don't know this for a fact. I don't have any source there in Minnesota, but from everything I've watched and have heard, it seems like I think it's Glenn Taylor, the owner there, has is tied to like Carl Anthony Towns. That's his guy. And so anytime you've got an owner that's tied to a player, um, it could cause a whole lot of different scenarios to take place, right? Because if that player is like anti what the coach is preaching and the coach is a really good coach, um, and everyone else is responding and said player isn't responding, well, you know, nothing's gonna work because that player's not buying in. He's your best player. The coach isn't really the problem because his stuff is working for everyone else, but ownership is gonna side with the player. Do you know what I mean? So it can get really convoluted yeah. and real messy when ownership is attached to a player. Um then you must find the guy who is the right fit for that player. And that's not always an easy thing. And the right fit for that player might not be the right fit for winning basketball games. Tibbs took that team last year to the playoffs for the first time in, I don't know, like maybe a decade. And I'm not saying Tibbs was the right guy because Tibbs has been a lot of places and a lot of people who have played for Tibbs, although they win games, they, he does wear on people. He's a grinder. He's got you in practices. He's got you in films. He lives in his office. And that style's not for everybody, especially the younger generation of player. So I don't know that Tibbs was the right fit necessarily, 
Um, but I do know that there is an alignment with ownership and a player, and it makes it really hard to find the right recipe to win um, for, for the organization and for everybody, every other player within the organization. 14 years it was the T-Wolves' last uh, uh, playoff appearance before yeah. last year when they got in with uh, with Tibbs there. The thing that make, the thing that disturbs me a little bit is if you're going to make a move by like like this, this drastic and this significant, like what is your plan? Do you have a better option in place? It, and when you see Fred Hoiberg mentioned as a possible replacement, stop. then I'm stop. like, yeah, exactly. Then I'm like, what is going on? Or even Chauncey Billups, who stop. I love, and I think he could be good. He has no experience. Like, it just, it makes no sense to me. If they put either one of those two in place, you're like, what are you doing? Is there a plan? It seems, by all accounts, it looks like there isn't a plan. So, yeah, that, well, I, I, this is me reading the tea leaves, right? Like, Fred Hoiberg, apparently, uh, you know, he got an offer because UCLA might have, uh, UCLA fired their guy, right? So he may have gotten this offer from UCLA. And maybe this is Minnesota saying we got to get him now because we won't be around. Cause either in, in any other scenario, both of those guys would be available in the offseason. You didn't have to blow everything up, uh, midseason. Danny, you, I don't know if you've been in a locker room when they make a major change like this midseason. It, it turns everything on its head. Like, and even if you're not the best team, there is some level of like, you know, normalcy to what you do. You kind of know what you're going to get. You know what to expect. You have a familiarity with everybody in the building. The family has already kind of developed. And you realize, I don't know, 35, 40 games in, maybe we're not the best team in the world, but this is our family. This is who we are. When you make this change, it upsets everything in there. Now, it could it could wind up where you have great relationships with these people, but for at least a month, everything is upset and it's tumultuous. And my point is, like, for a team that's not really going to go anywhere this year necessarily, you're not going to be that much better with Fred Hoiberg or or Chauncey Billups. You might be marginally better, but you could have been marginally better with Thibodeau riding out the rest of the season. Make this move in the offseason. There's no reason to make the move right now. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go. All right, I'm out here in Santa Clara at the national championship game between Clemson and Bama. There's been an interesting discussion about this game because – it's the fourth time they've met, third time in the championship game, and there's this narrative from some college football fans. I don't know if it's just a vocal, you know, minority that's really loud because they don't like it. I don't have a huge problem with it. I think you want to see great games. You want to see greatness go toe to toe. That's why I kind of liked when I always wanted to see the Cavs and Warriors because I wanted to see LeBron versus the Warriors because I thought it was the best matchup and, uh, at least from the Eastern Western Conference standpoint. Yeah, it might have been better if the Rockets had been there. But this game, I think it's good. I think it's great, especially, you know, it's supposed to be designed to have the two best teams there. I have no problem at all if it's Clemson-Bama. Do you have any issue at all with these two teams squaring off again? No, like, Do you think it takes ridiculous. away from the championship at all? Why? Yeah. They're the best teams. They've got the best talent. And it ultimately, in that way, like, it's provided entertainment every time they play. They've been some of the best games, you know, of the college football season. So why would I have any beef? Like, if I'm someone else, I guess, like, you know, the sentiment is the rich get richer. Like, they just keep getting talent, and it's not fair. We can't beat them. But that's not on them. That's on you. And so as a viewer, like, I'm down with that. I get to see probably the number one pick in the 2020 draft in Tua Tagovailoa, right? Would you say yeah. Danny's going to be top five? Yeah, and, then, and maybe Trevor Lawrence and, might be and, another number one in pick. the 2021 <laughs> draft. And then I'm not yeah. even accounting for all the stud defensive linemen that are, linemen that are running around and the playmakers on on both sides offensively. Like, dude, cut it out. You get to see the best players, the best coaches on the biggest stage. Give it to me 12 times as long as it continues to bear fruit in terms of exciting games. I'm with it. Yeah, I love it. I, Dabo Sweeney was asked about it. Saban's been asked about it. Uh, Sweeney said specifically, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for having a great team and a great program and a bunch of committed guys. And Coach Saban is not either. I think his yeah. objective is to get the two best teams, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, but I agree with him. Like, 
And it was like, if you want to see a different team there, like, sure, it would have been great to see Oklahoma, Notre Dame, but they weren't good enough yet. I think they're getting closer. I think some other teams are getting closer to narrowing that gap potentially. But if they didn't win, I have no problem. Like this year, especially like last year, it bothered me. I felt Bama got a pass. This year, Clemson and Bama, not only are they the best teams, but they're also the most deserving. Like they went through these tough schedules, handled their business in the playoffs. Now they're here. And I think it's perfect. There, there is, I will say this because I've been to all five championship sites. I've been on site for the games. It is different. It is not like, because before there's been an excitement and energy in the city that you're in. Everybody's wearing the colors and there's kind of talk and there's a buzz. And I don't think this is because of the matchup. I think it's just because of regionally where the game is being held in sure. Northern California, where they're not really crazy about college football. It, the weather's been awful. It's been rainy and cold. It does not feel, it doesn't have that huge game feel, but I don't think that'll play on TV. I don't think people will be able to notice that at home, that it, that it looks a little bit, you know, lethargic as far as the fan base is involved. So it'll be interesting to watch. And I hope we get a great game because I think college football definitely needs it uh, at this point in the season. They should All right, just take a quick move, break. They should just move yeah. the game though, dude. How often does a Northern California or West Coast team ever make the play? Just move the game to like the Southeast region of the United States and you ain't never got a problem. Like you're always going to have right. like SEC fans come out and support and then, you know, like it's an easy fix. Totally. Yeah, the ticket prices for this game, you can get in for about a hundred bucks just to get into the stadium. Last year, because it was in Atlanta, you yeah. had, it was like two thousand bucks for an upper deck last row seat. This right. year, I think you've seen those ticket prices plummet, but I don't think it's because the fans aren't interested. I think it's because they can't afford getting here to this spot. All right. Welcome back. Canel and Bell, our man Pete Prisco's hanging out with us. All right, Pete, I have a test for your football IQ. Are you ready for it? Yeah, you, you can answer one question for me. What prison are you being held in over there, by the way? <laughs> This is the San Jose Marriott. It's a lovely. Hey, we can open those curtains. There's a lovely view of downtown. We, we need a GoFundMe page to get Danny released from his hostage situation. <laughs> it might look a little bit like that. All right, I'm going to test your football IQ. If at halftime you are John Harbaugh yesterday in the Ravens Chargers game, what do you do with the quarterback position? Would you have stuck with Lamar Jackson like he did, or would you have benched him and gone to Flacco? I would have played him two series. And then if he wasn't doing anything, which he didn't, I would have gone to Flacco. Absolutely. I mean, look, you got to put whatever, uh, you know, future stuff is on the line out the window and go win the game. I would have, I would have benched him. But what about, so here's my question. This is what I had uh, the conversation with Raja. If Lamar Jackson, who's one of the best scrambling quarterbacks in the past decade, is getting harassed, hit and strips, you know, like over and over every single time he dropped back to pass, what do you think would have been different with Flacco? Don't you think it would have been worse because he would have been getting, he would have been a statue in the pocket and would have just been getting killed? Ball gets out. I mean, you hope he would see the field better and get the ball out. That's part of the problem with Lamar Jackson. He's not getting the ball out. He holds it and he stands there and he jumps around and no, I would have made the change. I, I, I don't but think he did, that, but he brought him back to a position. Oh, window, stop it, Danny. He threw a, he threw a Hail Mary that was like a, he's scrambling around and throws a pop up up that Derwin James thought he was picking off and it turns into a big play. Stop I'm, it. I'm, I'm kind of with both. I'm, I'm with, I'm with you more probably than I am with Danny. Um, I, I would have given us the best chance to win the game. Like that's, I, and if Lamar is a deer in headlights, which he was for a lot of that, then I, I have to go to Flacco because I know what I have in Flacco, at least to give us the opportunity to see if Flacco can exist in that pocket that Danny's talking about. I do, however, understand like that there are politics involved in re- that, right? Like that's not the, it's not just as cut and dry as let's roll out Flacco when you've now tied your horse to Lamar Jackson, both as a, like as a coach, as an organization, and you probably have a mandate from above. And this was the question that, 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 
you know, I was trying to figure out is how far did that conversation go? Because I know it was had. I know that ownership, I know the general managers, I know that the president going into that half, looking at Lamar's number said, hey, man, do we go to Joe Flacco here? The question is, did it ever get to Harbaugh? Yeah, I think yeah, he, he, said, he, he said he, he said he just he, he considered it. Yeah, but there was some talk that Flacco. Not said, did he no. consider? I mean, did manage did management come down and have the conversation? Some, with somebody him? said yesterday that they went to him and Flacco said no. If it happens, he doesn't want to go. With really? Him. Now, that would be. I didn't hear that. Yeah. firsthand. Oh, but wow. here's the other here's the other thing. If he had played and gone in and rallied them, would he have started the next week on the road? Right, that's tough. I mean, right. What do you do? Well, you open up Pandora's box. So if again, if you do that and he and he responds. Like you have now opened up a whole nother conversation as it revolves, as it pertains well, and revolves around. But isn't the idea to win the game though? No, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I would, I would have yanked him to try and win the game. I'll be honest with you. I would have pulled him right, after so two series. I would have given him half to halftime though. Right. All right. So let's move on. Let's look at the Cowboys, uh, Seahawks because I thought it was a big game for the for Jason Garrett, who I think was probably even if they had a 10 six season, I think he was probably on the hot seat a little bit if they don't win that game. Dak Prescott, I think, has a lot of naysayers and people who doubt him. I think, and I've told Raja this like 15 times this season, if you look at the box score and you see Ezekiel Elliott get the rushing game going, then the Cowboys are going to win. They did that. Zeke had 137. But I do feel, this is why I like Dak Prescott. I do think he has a knack for making big plays in the right situation, much like he did late in that game with the rush where he got it down to the inch line. I think he's got like a knack for him. Do you Do you have more confidence in Dak Prescott or did you doubt him before this game? Uh, like what's your, what's your take on Dak Prescott from his performance in that game? I think you're damned if you do and damned if you don't with Dak Prescott. I, I think you gotta pay him, A, because what if you don't? But if you do, you're always hoping that he's a complimentary player to what goes on around him. Okay, let's just take Elliott out of the equation. Let's say Elliott has 15 carries for 42 yards. Does Dak Prescott win that game? I don't think he does. And that's gonna be the case going forward. They get a good matchup this week against the Rams. The Rams are 32nd in the league against the run in right. yards per attempt. So Elliott should be able to run the football, and that will take the pressure off of Dak Prescott. I don't know if Dak Prescott can win a game by himself. I just don't know if he can. Right. Let me ask. I want to ask a question on the flip side of that. Like I know that the Seahawks had changed their DNA, and they didn't want to put it all on on uh, Russell Wilson this year. But do you, at some point during that game? Like change the script. You know you have one of the best, top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, what's the reluctance once you realize that you really aren't going to be able to run the ball to let him open it up? Yeah, and once he hit those two big shots down the field, okay, here you go. Yeah. Now let's go play up tempo, throw right. it around, give it to Russell Wilson. It's his game. I didn't get that at all. I didn't understand it. I think it was a bad coaching decision. I think Schottenheimer is one of those most conservative. You know, his dad. Remember his dad? Yeah. Run, 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 run. Yep. Same thing with him. Bad. Bad, bad. They should have given him the football. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. I thought I thought they kind of restricted Russell. Was he very efficient this year? But I thought they didn't go to him when they could have gone to him earlier and really opened things up. Sometimes, as much as you want to commit to the run, sometimes if you pass the ball successfully first, it opens up the run game the rest of the race. As opposed to like just trying to force the the issue with the run. Sometimes if you go to the pass early, it opens the run later in the throw game. I score, thought that was a throw to mistake. score and run to win. It's, yeah. it's the philosophy yeah. of the NFL. The way the rules mandate today, you throw to score and run the win. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Colts go into Houston. They get the win, really dominant fashion. It was not close at all. How scary do you think this Colts team is moving forward? Can they do some serious damage in rounds to come, or do you think this is the end of their run? No, I think they can do damage. I mean, look, it wouldn't shock me to see 
any of these teams do damage. I'll be honest with you. I think the dogs will bark this week, and uh, I think they're all dangerous to win the game. I mean, you look at what the Colts do. Offensive line is fantastic, Mm -hmm. and they're physical. The Chiefs can't stop anybody. So if they can move the football and keep up with them, I think they have a real chance to win this game. I I do think Mahomes will make enough plays. I mean, he's going to make plays, and I think he's going to have the ball late in the game, and he'll make a play late in the game to win it. But the Colts are going to hang around. I'm curious to see how their new-look defense does against this group because Matt Eberflus has done a nice job with that defense, and he's picked up guys off the street and sheared and Desir and the young players. Yep. But now you're playing Mahomes on his place in his in his building. It's going to be a tough challenge for them. I want, I want to ask both of you guys a quick question because I thought it was something that was very interesting. Steve Smith on NFL Network, former Panthers receiver, absolutely crushed Deshaun Watson because late in that game when they were down 21 nothing. Deshaun Watson, who had had a bad game, he's trying to bring his team back, but multiple times he's getting first downs and he's coming up there like pimping it basically, like giving the first down, like, you know, kind of celebrating and looking at the Colts players. And Steve Smith crushed him, said, look at the scoreboard and be aware of the situation. I didn't like it either. Did either of you guys have a problem with the way he was handling himself in a game where they're getting pretty much smashed across all sides of the ball? Yeah, I hated it. Like, I don't, you have no right to be out there doing any kind of showboating right now and you, your team's down. Like, I, but I think that's, that's today's player across the spectrum of sports. None of them have a really good feel for when it's right to be celebrating. They just celebrate all the time. Like, kids, kids now in my youth basketball, any three pointer made is some kind of like, right. you know, you're doing some Fortnite dance. You're like, dude. It's three nothing. Like, come on. Yeah, right. You're supposed to make that. And here's my thing. I, this is, you know, I'm going to make myself really old here, yeah. but back in the day, you just point to the scoreboard, right? Right. Yep. Sure. Hey, so one of, if I'm a, if I'm a player on the Colts defense, I walk over to him and I go, keep doing that, but take a look at the scoreboard. Point that way. You might right. want to look at it. I didn't like it either. Yeah. I mean, look, he yeah. was responsible for part of the problem. He was terrible the other day. That's what had, that's why I had a problem with it. Cause you have to be aware of the situation, but I think that's the sign of today's current athletes. Some of them just aren't aware and all they're worried about is how they're performing as opposed to the team. And I think maybe you can use it as a learning, learning moment there for sure. Uh, all right. So we're, I'm out of championship games going on tonight. Let's look at some props. These are my favorite things. I love looking at them and I think you can really get a glimpse inside some of the matchups that are going to play out in this game. All right. Started over with Tua Tongvaloa, Alabama's quarterback. We'll set the over under at 21 and a half completions. Do you think he goes over or under? That's tough because the average is only 15 a game, but he sits a lot, right? right? Because they win a whole lot, um, and they win by a lot. I am going to say under. I think it'd be 19 I'm gonna 20. Go in the in the playoff game versus Oklahoma, he was 24 of 27. I th- mm-hmm. and it, like with a drop and a throwaway mm-hmm. in there, and like one other bad throw. I think in this game, I think both him and Trevor Lawrence are going to have to open it up. I think they might have to throw it because these are the best defensive fronts they've faced. Sure. So I'm going to say over 21 and a half completions because I think they're both up to the task. All right, let's switch it over and look at Trevor Lawrence. Over, under, two touchdown passes. Which way are you going? Uh, I'm going to say over. I think they will throw it around a lot. And I think you can maybe get after if there's anywhere that Alabama might be a little uh, vulnerable. It's in that secondary. So I'm going to say over. After meeting their two receivers and uh, uh, T. Higgins and Ross on the outside, um, t- they could form a basketball team and dominate in college basketball. Like they're six six, not even yep. like six six in the program, six four in real life. They are six six. I think he'll have two for sure. 
and maybe even three because I think in the red zone they're just gonna they they that's basically the base of their big plays they do throw it up for grabs a lot sure. so I think they'll get some of those. Uh, all right, two a longest pass play, longest completion, forty-two and a half yards, over under. Under, and I don't know why. I'm just I, I think right. we might yeah under forty-two is a lot of yards. Like so, I'm gonna take under. All right, first quarter over under thirteen and a half points in the first quarter. Over, yeah, I think they're gonna come You'll out guns over. blazing. Yeah. A lot of times, though, these defenses have had extra time to prepare. They kind of, they're great defensive coordinators. I'm going to take the under. I think it could off to a slow start as they're feeling each other out. Okay. First half spread, Alabama minus three. Um, I'm going to take Clemson. Yeah. I think really? tied or I think Clemson could have the lead. All right. I'm going to take Bama minus three. We need to track these because I want to see how we do on all these. I'm going to take Bama's minus three. I think the experience factor, Trevor Lawrence being his first big, you know, potentially close game. I think they could be figuring things out. I think two has a little bit shown me more, uh, to be a little bit more polished early where I don't think he'll, I think he'll, they'll have an easier time scoring. So go with that one. All right. The game itself. Bama is a five and a half point favorite over Clemson. Who do you like? I'm going to take Clemson. Uh, I don't know that I'd take Clemson to win, although I think they will, but I'm going to take them to cover the five and a half. I am with you. Do you remember at the beginning of the season, I picked Clemson with an asterisk, and I said, yeah. if Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback, yep. he is the quarterback. There's something that makes me nervous, though. Like, I have another asterisk. Like, I think Clemson will win if Trevor Lawrence plays all four quarters, but he better be careful when he runs the football. There was a play in the first half of the game against Notre Dame. I don't know if you remember, he was scrambling for a first touch, uh, first down. He got hit by two Bama defenders or two Notre Dame defenders. It was a pretty good smack, but he got up and he was okay. He runs the ball really high and he's like six five, six six. If he runs around carelessly, Bama's going to knock him out of this game. I'm a little bit worried about that, but if he's healthy, Clemson covers and wins the ball game. Hopefully, it's a go and comes down to the wire. Boom. Didn't the same thing happen to him in his first start against uh, Syracuse? He got knocked Syracuse. out one of his first yes. runs, right? Trevor Lawrence, get down. Protect Duck. yourself. Enjoy the game. <laughs>